Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Jacob Stanbridge, the Jorginho Rutter assist of the podcast, finally justifying the fee it costs to bring me in. And I'm joined today by the second Dan James assist of the podcast, Dan Holdsworth, real evidence of our strength and depth. And finally, I'm joined by the first Dan James assist of the podcast, Helping us all out despite comically failing to take the glory for himself, it's Adam Elliott. How are you doing, Adam? You know what, I'm I'm all right, but I, I feel like this was a bit of an insult, and and I I don't know, I've fallen into the the ball, and the ball somehow ended up in the net. But I got an assist for it, and I know you said that Dan is the Dan James assist of the podcast, the second one, but actually that didn't count as an assist via Opta's data or anywhere else. It's not it's not actually gone down on the record. So at least I'm. An assist, whereas Dan's actually just nothing now. He's just something meaningless. But yeah, I'm, I'm well, mate. Thank you very much. How about yourself? Well, firstly, you know what I say, opta schmopta. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm all right. Uh, a few aches and aches and pains, and in, in, I'm getting old, you see. But um, but I can't complain too much. How are you, Dan? I'm fine. But th- th- this is case in point of what happens when you get old. You know that young people just say nothing, ignore you. So thanks, Adam. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm actually just disappointed I didn't get the comical assist from Dan James from my intro. I really loved that assist. I can't decide if if he meant it or if he did really well to dig it out or what. Really, I think he was trying to shoot. I think so, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I want to give. You just him don't credit. know what goes on in his brain. I'm 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 feeling like I'm feeling very um, charitable these days with Dan James. I'm kind of liking his little his little cameos this season. So I'm going to say he dug it out. There we are. Starting a positive note. <laughs> And and as we mean to go on, let's go straight on to the most important topic of the day, the food conversation. So, uh, Dan, Adam, what have you been eating today? Am I going first? Well, I had a roast chicken today. My father-in-law turned up this, uh, this afternoon, so the wife had a day off work and she made a roast chicken. So, that was very good. I had um, just pesto pasta. I feel like a, a uni student. But as I've said many times on this podcast, I always cook something really boring. So I made something nice yesterday, but that's that's irrelevant because, you know, it's not today's meal. So I had just pesto pasta. What about yourself, Jacob? I actually haven't eaten yet. So uh, 
the the joy of discovery is is still to come but i have baked some chocolate sort of biscuit kind of things recently so that was that was cool you should do like a in podcast vote like to, to what we think jacob should eat eat adam do you think yeah we should do at the end it, disregard like what i have available just just tell me something and i'll go out <laughs> to the shop <laughs> beans on toast safe choice anyway yeah <laughs> Well, uh, I look I look forward to that. But we're not here to talk about food. We're here to review Sunday's game between Leeds United and Millwall. Our 3-0 triumph being our away win, our first away win at the Den for over a decade. Uh, we'll start first by quickly going over some news before t- turning our attention to the game. So one thing that I don't think we've covered on the podcast, forgive me if we have, was that Jack Jenkins has been loaned out to Scunthorpe, who are playing these days in the National League North. And he previously had been out on loan at a League Two club last season, I think. So it's a bit of a Salford Red Devils. So it's a bit of a um, downward step for him. Any any quick thoughts on Jack Jenkins? It's a weird one, isn't it? I I thought he would get sold or loaned again this summer, which has transpired. But I genuinely thought he would get another League Two loan or at least a National League loan at the at the top end of that. The National League North is the sixth tier of English football. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, Scunthorpe are a decent name in in english football they've been in the championship not that long ago to be honest um and maybe they're a, a team that are going to be quite dominant and and looking to get promoted first time of asking i would i would imagine so he might slot in there and do really well but i just don't see how it actually benefits him in terms of his development it seems like a really low level um i, I can't say like too much about jack jenkins as a player i have seen him play before but like i haven't seen how he's developed in the last couple of years um, but at the same time, I just, I feel like it might be a bit of a waste for him, even though it's only till January, I believe. But so it could be that he he ends up at a high level after that. But for this next five six months, it's, it seems like a bit of a waste. And I think quite a few of our players have been wasted in one way or another this uh, summer, and it's a lot of our midfielders actually, our young midfielders, the likes of JB and and Bate not getting loans to some kind of level as well was pretty frustrating. So I don't think the club are handling all of our youngsters the best at the moment i would say yeah and i think that january is going to be a really important time for for their development because it's clear with the the deadline well the deadline week arrivals and having shackleton in midfield as depth that bait and jb are not going to get much of a look in so i I really hope that the club is are able to um give them some time in the second half of the season at least and second bit of news dan um jed spence is unfortunately out for eight weeks with a ligament injury hopefully hopefully not going to require surgery but it's going to be a big blow isn't it yeah yeah, yeah, real big blow. I'm really gutted about that because I think he was perhaps the signing I was most excited about um, this season. Um, and I'm always worried about these injuries that don't require surgery. Is it just is it Adam Forshaw or sort of broken us? Didn't he not? Didn't he not require surgery for like eight, 18 months or something? I don't know. So I'm just kind of worried about this one. <laughs> is, that, is that just Leeds United breaking us? And then before long, we'll find out that Jed Spencer's had to have like eight teeth pulled or something. Yeah, yeah, and his back realigned. Yeah, yeah, and his haircut or something. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Dearing me. I hope it's less than that. They did say it's up to eight weeks, but don't mess with his just, hair. You don't know. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be as much as that, and that would be really annoying. But obviously, Liam Cooper came back earlier than planned. It's a lead ligament injury, isn't it? So it sounds like he got clattered in training. If I read that right. Yeah. Yeah. Who do we reckon it was? Dan James. Was it ailing? <laughs> it was oh James. yeah, it was Dan James. Dan James or Chris Clyson, someone you don't expect. He thought he was a goalkeeper and ran into him. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that uh, is sad news that we um we, we will no doubt be ruining for the weeks to come, but we will have to now move on to the game summary. So Leeds set out in their usual four two three one structure that at times resembled a four four two, with Millwall adopting more of a three five two shape. 
Initially, Millwall began with concerted pressure and rain set pieces in on the box, but Leeds weathered the storm and established a foothold in possession versus Millwall's mid-block. After taking the lead through Joel Perot in the first half, Leeds were able to largely avoid conceding dangerous chances whilst threatening Millwall through a mix of counter-attacks and quick combinations between attacking players, with Millwall generally trying to attack us with direct balls to wide areas, but these largely didn't create any danger that we weren't able to nullify. This culminated in two further second-half goals from Perot and Jorginho Rutter, several of these coming on the counter-attack, and Leeds held on for a 3-0 victory. Does that seem about fair? Anything anyone wants to add? It's all good for me. Fab. Well, then we'll move on to the interrogation section. This is the section where we'll ask everyone a series of questions about the game and, and go through it to uncover what really happened. So, to begin, we've um, we've had multiple questions coming in about our home record versus our away record. Once again, we've won handily away from home as we did against Ipswich, but we're still yet to win in the league at Allen Road. So, why is this happening and will it keep happening? We'll start with Adam on this one. Yeah, um, I think... It is a bit of a loaded question. I, I believe it probably will happen this season, or at least it will in the first half of the season. A um, few reasons for this. I think uh, our home, sort of the opposition structure and, and the, the sort of game state, if, if you want, at nil-nil or when we first kick off a game is going to be very different because I think teams are going to essentially cede us possession and, and allow us to kind of have the ball and to dictate a little bit, um, knowing that they can hit us in the counter-attack or, or in transition. Whereas away from home, I don't think that's as likely to happen in every game. Again, there's probably a few reasons for that as well. Um, one being kind of just a generic thing of like when you're playing at home, you want to be a bit more front-footed. Like the demand of the the crowd and the fans will be that you should you know be actively looking to to get a foothold on the game and and sort of you know be the more dominant team of the two, um, which I think really does suit us because I think at the moment. We've got such quality in attacking areas um, that suiting us playing on the counter-attack and transition ourselves. So when that does happen, like we saw with the first goal uh, on Sunday, it was a counter-attack from Millwall having a bit of sustained pressure and they were pretty you know, high up in the in the first 10 minutes kind of pinning us in. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's likely. And also I think teams are just more likely to, not just because of the fans and, and the crowd, but they're likely to want to play their own sort of attacking game and, and whatever they've they've planned and worked on you know through pre-season and through the season they're more likely to to want to implement their attacking ideas at home than away from home that that isn't to say they're not going to have a plan for for both and and a plan in and out of possession for both of course they are but like at home I think they're more likely to think you know what we should we should be having a go here um and I think we'll see this a lot for Leeds this season um there might be some games away from home where teams kind of sit in and pack the box a little bit I think that's probably likely against teams like Rotherham Chef Wednesday um, but uh, for the most part I think it's quite likely that we, we see a lot of these teams kind of allowing us the ball and um, at home and and kind of like waiting to pounce I guess and, and spring an attack of their own whenever they get the chance and we'll just kind of have to be better at unlocking doors in, in those games like we've seen this season three draws at home We've only scored three. We've only conceded three in those games as well. So they've been they've been pretty tight. Um, even if we've been the more dominant team with the ball, we just haven't been able to to create as much as maybe we would have liked. Probably enough to win games like against Sheffield Wednesday, but it still wasn't as good as as some of our attacking play in the Ipswich and Sheffield, uh, and Millwall games uh, the last two we've seen. So yeah, I, I do think it's it's quite likely that we see uh, probably at least until January, in case things could change within the market and who we could buy, but at least until then, probably a better away record than a home record. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with basically everything that you said there. And, and that point around January, I think, is pretty pretty relevant in terms of the thing that we're going to just end up keeping talking about through this first half of the season about the profiles we have in attack and sort of missing that creative passing player, I, I, I would say. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to this, Dan. Not massively. No, I, I pretty much had the same notes written down. Like, yeah, it's it's not it's going to be something we struggle with reliably. I mean, we will be in home games, of course. We've got good players and in game state. You know, if we can catch a team cold and get a goal in the first ten minutes at home, then great. Then we'll enjoy ourselves. But um, yeah, I I don't see a lot of sort of repeatable patterns just yet in the way we attack. I don't mean. I mean, obviously, we've seen the same types of attack because of the the profiles of players, especially away from home, and these nice counter attacking moves we're playing. But in terms of from a settled position high up the field, we don't doesn't feel like we've got like a, like a set move and a set you know where set sort of, sort of rotational moves that we used to see say under you know under Bielsa who was very much a rehearsed sort of uh, move type of coach wasn't he? So we don't have that yet, and I wonder if we start to develop those kind of uh, those kind of patterns, we might see we might have a little bit more success even if we don't have that kind of that profile of player we feel like we need to uh, break low blocks down at, at home. Yeah, I'm definitely agreement with that. I think it's. Um a solution to not having that kind of creative pass and, and there's a there's a moment or two in this game that i picked out when watching it back which were maybe like the the, the little seeds of, of something like that but i think it's definitely an element to our game we have to develop much further i mean liverpool's uh, liverpool and the club the classic team you know when it was three years ago they played a you know a counter-attacking fourth run a counter-pressing 4-3-3 but they dominated teams at home and still broke them down Without a ten, without really particularly creative midfield players, how how was that? It wasn't as if Mane, Mane uh, Salah, and Mane are particularly creative. You know, they were kind of kind of direct running in behind type wide forwards, weren't they? So there are ways to do it with a system. It's just fuck, got to work it out. They do have two really good creative fullbacks, though, and I think we only have, maybe have yeah. one of those. So we'll have to see. And he's injured. <laughs> and they also had Roberto Firmino, who um, was an exceptional player in playing in tight spaces. But may, may, maybe we have that in the squad somewhere. Anyway, well, Perot kind of could play that role, couldn't he? I think that kind of sort of forty nine type. Anyway, we're digressing, but yeah. I mean, another thing is that this is just something that came up in the group chat today. Like I think it was Hobbsy that said this that we don't really hold the ball in the opposition half all that well. Um, but actually, this might at home. It might if we can turn that to our advantage, and it almost be that we generate these little counter attacking moments by not by losing the ball and then winning it back and going again. So a little bit like 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 Brighton do. You know, they kind of generate artificial transitions, don't they? Yeah. I guess it might. If we could, if there's a way we can kind of weaponize that, if that's the right phrase, um, perhaps it sounds like a, a bit of Jesse Marshism, to be honest. Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? <laughs> but I was, I was thinking the same. It, it was, I was watching the game back as well, I, and I, and I think just to add on to what you were saying, it possibly doesn't help that quite a lot of our attacking players are that direct as well. It's not just the fact that they're not necessarily passing players, but a lot of them are just very quick. And, and execute actions very fast and it doesn't feel like there's many players not only that like from a creative passing point of view but also that are going to be those players who put their foot on the ball a bit but there's a bit of that to come on late, later on so I'll move on so my next question is were we good cohesively as a team or was it more the case that we won through moments of individual quality and I feel like this sort of ties into what we've just been saying and Ian Burden on Patreon, wondered if we created enough other chances sort of between our goals. So, Dan, I'll let you talk first here. Yeah, I thought we were more cohesive. I mean, more cohesive. Um, fewer, fewer offsides is a good measure of that. There was one, I think, in this game. And we've been a bit of an offside team this year. I think until before the international break, we were the team that had been caught offside uh, the second most in the championship behind Chef Wednesday, where we had one. Team of Alioskis. 
A team of Alioskis, yeah, Alien, <laughs> Alien was at fault a lot. But I mean, Alien didn't play quite as high, so maybe in this game, so that's why perhaps. But so, yeah, but I did, definitely felt that there were fewer passes, you know, played to the back of someone's feet when they were running. And it just, just felt a little bit more like they were kind of in tune with each other, the forward, particularly the forward four. Um, you know, they wasted fewer opportunities to get up the field, I felt. Um, I mean, that's probably just a function of them being together a bit more, isn't it, in the system? I don't think it's anything, anything particularly. Um, Anything's changed to to, to to make that cohesion come along, you know, to, to make that cohesion come along anymore. So that was it, really. Yeah, I, I'm definitely minded to agree with that. And uh, Adam, do you do you have anything else with this bit? I I kind of agree the same things, but like, yeah, it's about it's about the fact that we've got so many direct moments players right now, isn't it, in the squad? But we don't have a lot of of those same repeatable patterns that you kind of want to start seeing at some point this isn't being negative at all because i think it can come and i'm i'm not saying it's like something that's not fixable and not workable and it's not something we're not already not starting to see in little sort of patches of the team i think there's there's relationships building as well i would say in, in a few areas so i would say that strauch and Roden, we don't need to talk about this too much but they are developing a really good partnership and I, unless we've got a really big block of games at, at one point i really don't see a reason to drop one of those at the moment. Um, obviously, this week is actually one of those times where you could see it with Cooper or Cresswell maybe coming in for one of them just to give them a bit of a rest. But it, for the most part, you want them to, to to keep developing as a pairing. And then you've got a few other combinations like Ruter and Perot is clearly something that is developing. Um, we saw more signs of it here. I think we've seen more signs of it against Ipswich and, um, Chef, and, and not Chef Wednesday. I think that was the game where it maybe didn't look quite as coherent but we'll get there again with those two and then one of the other areas which I think we'll talk about later a bit more as well is, is Byram and Nonto I thought they combined really well on the left so there's a there's a few sort of areas of the team even even Gray and Ampadu played quite well together but I don't really want to talk about it too much because I think there's a chance that Gray does kind of rotate out of the team a little bit here and there when we we start to bed in Kamara and Groove a little bit more but there's just quite a few few areas I'm quite happy with and that's why I'm a little bit disappointed about Spence as well because I really wanted to see how he could develop a pairing with with Somerville on that side and I think that's really important to have like across the team and and make sure not not only your sort of defensive spacing is good between sort of these players but also your your sort of combinations between them are working well as well so in possession stuff is working well as well and and it'll get there and, and I'm not saying it won't and I'm not saying like we need to be super negative because we just won 3-0 and we played all right but I, I do think for the most part it was you know it was more individual moments and, and players that that made things happen rather than an actual sort of Daniel Farker's system is, is working really well or something like that and 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 the last thing I'll say on this is that I think he is just having to adapt at the moment um there's there's basically just a lot of good attacking personnel and he's probably figuring out kind of how it looks and, and things like that but for the most part I think he knows a lot of his best team and players but it's just about working out those combinations how it's going to look and things like that um and it doesn't look very much like his Norwich team and the main reason for that is I think that we're missing two profiles um, which is the sort of playmaking winger we don't really have one I'd say Somerville's the closest thing to it but he's not really there and then the sort of more attack minded number eight we don't have that either that can also be a bit more creative and, and a bit of a line breaking passer um, and without that he's he's basically having to to adapt his team a little bit and I think we're playing more of a, a 4-4-2 shape which is not something he's been you know known for or, or whatever but it's kind of like a 4-4-2 4-2-3-1 somewhere in between you know Piro sometimes drops in a little bit um, and 
and that's not something he's he's done in his career really Farker. So I, I think it's just it's just one of those things that he's probably having to adapt to at the moment. But he he'll he'll get there. I think that we'll look better, let's say, in, in another ten games of this than than we do, you know, I think we're six league games, eight games overall into his tenure. So there's there's plenty of time for this to look better in another five, six, seven games in terms of as a unit rather than individuals. But I am still delighted because we won and the individuals shone quite a few of them so that's good just picking up on on something you were sort of hinting towards there and also what dan was saying with regard to ailing perhaps not being so high on uh, on the right flank in this game do we think that we saw the sort of the signs of anything new in farker's tactical approach in this game or is it do we think it's just the case of his ideas are just being more refined or was there anything that we thought was new for this game I don't think so. I think it was just it was just ailing dialed down a bit, wasn't it? Really, just just it was just giving instructions to hold and not quite so bomb forward quite so much. He still did it a little bit, but I just think it was kind of kind of the same approach, but just 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 you know, eighty percent of. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I, obviously, we'll talk about this again a little bit more, but we were probably forced to go long a little bit more than we would have liked. Um, I think Melier and Strout probably two that had to do that a little bit more than than they would like, and I know both of them. Particularly, Strauch is, is pretty comfortable just playing in this this system, this unit, when he's given time and space, but wasn't afforded that as much. And and the other thing I noticed that was we were quite often like trying to build down the right, and then we decide, you know what, no, we're just going to switch this out. And I and I saw quite a few times, particularly in the first half, we just say, All right, well, let's just ping this out to Nonto or Byram, and then there was a bit more space for us. So I, I don't think it's. I think like Dan said, it's like eighty percent, but not maybe fully. We're not quite at that moment where these little patterns of, of passing are, are always working out, but we'll get there. Grand. That's uh, that's good good foreboding. So now I want to talk a bit about Millwall's approach to the game. In terms of their out-of-possession play, how different was what they were doing to what, say, Sheffield Wednesday had been doing in the previous game? Adam? Yeah, I, I felt like they were obviously more aggressive, and that's that's pretty obvious. I think they were engaging us much higher up the pitch. Um especially in that first 10 or 15 minutes before we scored. Um, and their wingbacks were, were fairly high, like trying to pin us in. Well, particularly the play that, that I was paying attention to on my rewatch was Campbell, their new signing from, I believe it's Luton, but I might be wrong with that. Um, he was their most advanced of the three central midfielders. And he was basically like forcing... Ampadu or Gray, whichever one it was that was receiving the ball off the centre-backs to just go back because they didn't have a, a good forward passing option. And then the striker Nisbet or Bradshaw would press them and then Strauch or Melier would basically just have to go long. And that was happening quite a lot in the first half. Um, so it was definitely different to Wednesday who were a much more passive opposition and really didn't want to you know, spring out of their half too high. But but the lines for Millwall were, were just much higher up the pitch, the defensive midfield and forward line. And, and I think they just wanted us to, to kind of feel a bit uncomfortable and, and maybe the atmosphere doesn't help with that as well, with it being Millwall and things like that as well. But yeah, I think ideally Farker would want you know us to, to play out a little bit better. And I think... I was happy with Strauch's game, but like he did go long quite a few times when I thought, oh, it's frustrating that because you know you'd, you'd like him to just play a pretty ordinary pass out. But yeah, they, they were just a lot more aggressive. Um, the counter pressing was was there as well. Whenever they they lost it, they were they were also forcing those. I guess what what Dan was talking about the 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 sort of transitions, but in our half um, and those those turnovers, and and then they were getting corners from that as well, and, and they were just kind of bombarding the box and throwing in a lot of, of crosses when they could as well so yeah it, it was kind of very Millwall um, in that sense uh, I wasn't too surprised but it, it did I guess 
regress a little bit in the second half. And I guess as well, by the nature of it being more aggressive, it perhaps opened up that sort of extra amount of space that we were able to counter into quite a few times, whether that always ended up resulting in a chance, which um, which certainly plays to the strengths of the players that we have in the squad. And completely agree as well regarding what you were saying about the man coming onto Ampadu. I was really struck by that in both the game and the rewatch. It was really, really clear that they didn't want him to turn. And I was very impressed in certain moments where he was still able to like execute passes that moved up the field, even though he was facing uh, facing his own goal. And, and that was really good. And then, as I sort of hinted at earlier, there was a moment about 26 minutes in where Pirot dropped really deep and dragged a guy away. And then Ampadu was able to pass it to Strauch in one of these moments. And then he was able to drive into that space that had been vacated. And then Byron was even further forward. And that was one of those moments that I thought was a really good sort of little seedling of how we can like move oppositions around a bit and and create some space. Albeit with a couple of caveats. Bit a being that that might not happen against a team who are sitting really, really low in a, in a really deep block. And B, do we want Perot being the one who ends up like right at the front of our own box in a moment like that? And Byron being the one who's in a goal scoring position so still things to work out with that but it it certainly felt like an opportunity in a way that I haven't always seen from us this season to 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 manipulate the space do you want to add anything in this part Dan no the only thing really is from from the Millwall press it never really amounted to much did it like it just disrupted us a bit but we eventually worked out and got around it eventually it didn't like lead to chances for them and it and I don't think it really didn't seem to frustrate us like you know under previous regimes, we might have been a little bit like frustrated if we if our passing game wasn't quite on point and what have you. This time, we just kind of kept playing away, didn't we? And it didn't really seem to upset the team or disrupt the team. Um, and I think we just eventually worked it out, didn't we? And might you know worked out some fairly good routes around them eventually. So yeah, Millwall were fairly aggressive, but in the press, but they weren't very good at it. I don't think. Yeah, perhaps not like joined up through the whole team. Like the the pressure on Ampadu may be good at stopping him from turning, but it wasn't like it was a whole. The first goal is a good example. Like we we broke through, kind of a, obviously a slightly different situation, but they essentially had um, the back three again, up against our front four, and they had like one midfielder chasing back on wing backs. So there were just massive gaps everywhere. So they were, you know, the two eights, their two eights. I think they were like a four three, two, uh, a three five two, weren't they? Their kind of two eights would push up and leave massive gaps and leave that their number six on his own, covering acres of space. So I was just thinking, yeah, they were just yeah, not joined up is the, is the right is the right way of thinking about it. And then in terms of Millwall in possession, they were, like we said, sort of very direct. Uh, I think it's fair to say got the ball into dangerous areas without creating many good chances, especially in terms of shots in the box. It's reflected in the numbers as per uh, Mark R. Stats' bot on Twitter. Millwall's expected threats wasn't actually that much lower necessarily than Leeds's, but their expected goals were substantially less. So how did we go about shutting them out, Dan? So they're just... <laughs> All Millwall really did was pump diagonal balls forward because their centre forwards aren't particularly big, are they? For a kind of quite a direct team, they're not very big, so it's more channel balls, isn't it? And trying to win stuff in that area. And I just felt like like um, our centre backs and particularly Rodon, who had a great, really dominant game, were just really dominant. And I think uh, our the kind of players around our centre backs were quite good at picking up second balls. I, I mean, I don't have any stats, but to this effect, but I wouldn't be surprised if we won way more second balls than Millwall did. You know, we were so good at getting around, so. You know, uh, Stuart could win a win a header and and, and Nonto would be there or whoever it was. You know, just in front of him or or, or Byron and winning the ball and, and off we'd go. So I just felt we were kind of pretty well drilled in that respect. We just knew that our centre backs would win 
more than their fair share, and we had to be first to, to, to the second ball and away we'd go. Um, yeah, I just just generally, I mean, and, and just more generally, I think our defensive shape was nice the whole game. It's really nice and nicely spaced. But the fullbacks helped the centre backs quite a lot. Like I say, the midfielders got back and helped out. It was just. Really, really solid, wasn't it? Nothing, you know, just really solid normie ball, as, as, <laughs> as we said in the group chat earlier. But it, that's good, really. That's nice to see, isn't it? When's the last time we can remember, well, West Brom game, you know, but we've had two this year. It's been two seasons without good defence, hasn't it? So it's nice to see occasional, you know, kind of just solid, sensible defending. Oh, for sure. And do you think there were like any issues with how we defended? Not, not majorly. Nothing, nothing standing out, really. Um, I mean, the best two chances that I can think was there's the one where Melier missed that that ball. He kind of got nudged off the ball, and they they almost got in, and it was given as a foul. Might not have been a foul. I don't know. You know that one. Um, and then they had a chance in the just after half time where the ball just slipped behind Stroke, and he and, and they kind of slipped in behind and, and got a shot on goal. But it's like you know, it's just it's channel balls, isn't it? That's it. It's diagonal balls and channel balls. A couple are going to get through eventually at some point, and a couple did, but that was it really. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Adam, I'm going to throw a slight curveball here and ask something not on the running order. Um, in terms of like this defensive approach, do you think that that's going to work for us against all the different kinds of teams that we'll play in the championship? Or do you think that other teams are still going to pose us more of a threat? Yeah, other teams will definitely cause us more of a threat, especially the ones with, with more quality. I'm not saying that Millwall have, have bad attackers at all, but there are teams with better quality that will you know, take a um, an individual moment or, or an opportunity out of nothing or whatever. So there definitely will be times. I, I have more issues with our approach in it's kind of like, if you look at the thirds on Sunday, I was very happy with the defensive and midfield thirds, like Dan's just said, thought they were fine. I think teams will have more joy around the Perot area. And I'm not going to like slate Piro because I really am happy with him but he was particularly for me on the rewatch quite passive out of possession there was a few moments he did get back including the one goal we scored in the first half he was obviously the one who won the ball back so there's that but like in general I thought he was pretty I don't think he's a very good presser let's put it that way and it 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 could be an issue for us in terms of that could be an area that teams can kind of start to make things happen a little bit you look at the difference between Campbell, their most advanced midfielder, and the way he pressed, and you look at Perot and how he pressed for us, and it's, it's chalk and cheese, really. I don't think he, he did enough in that respect, but I do think he's really, really good when we have the ball and his movement's very active, and he's he's looking for little pockets and areas, and, and so I think he kind of is one of those players that saves himself, which might be a detriment to the team at times. So I think that teams, 
to answer your question kind of is they'll have more joy against us in certain areas and that's one of them um i would also say right back would be another um but as we mentioned ailing was getting forward less particularly in the first half i I noticed he was pretty much back most of the time i don't think he wanted to get forward too much and i think farker wanted that physical presence with him and byron as the fullbacks are a bit taller a bit bit more physical and didn't want them to to maybe stray forward as much part of me does think that is his you know tactics and part of me does think that it's maybe Ailing's realizing that he's he's giving up quite a lot of big chances and a lot of threats in behind he didn't really do that at all in this game which was really good to see and as Dan mentioned like again that the defenders dealt with things really well and and Roden and, and Strout were pretty aggressive particularly Roden had a really really good game from a defensive point of view but teams will definitely have more joy when they they get into those attacking zones um and in certain areas of our team I, th- I think they the press needs to be a little bit stronger and I think I, if I was going to say anything actually I think Farker's pressing throughout his coaching career hasn't been anything to shout about it's been kind of average which is a bit of a difference for us to get used to considering the coaches we've had in recent years with Marsh and Bielsa and and all of that because that was obviously kind of the other end of the spectrum really really um, intense and and not quite as passive but yeah I think that's a sort of interesting thing to think about with relation to like the player profiles we've got in attack and whether we might sort of see a general shift towards us not not low blocking or anything, but not like making a real concerted effort to press and and being happy to sit that a little bit deeper, win the second balls and then counter. It definitely will suit us away from home, and I think it suited us even more in the second half when when Campbell went off for them and their intensity dropped and it, the game was a little bit more. I, I wouldn't say stodgy, but like neither team were quite as aggressive. And then when there was the moment for us to to counter like you've just mentioned it and when it came it was it was much better to do in that last 15-20 minutes um I really like Zion Fleming actually for them I wanted to give him a shout out because he's probably their best player but he started on the bench and thank you Gary Rowett I mean when he came on I, I don't think he did anything and, and he particularly wasn't as aggressive in his pressing as some of their other midfielders no I can't say I noticed him what, whatsoever and he's not a player I don't really follow the championship so I, I, I didn't really know what to expect from him but he had a good season last year. He was very good for them last season. He was uh, one of the top performers. 15 goals, four assists. Yeah, from kind of midfield, yeah, or wide sometimes. Yeah, good player. Just just, just going back to the defence on Leeds, what, one thing I noticed on the watch back, if you just, just the energy Leeds had in getting back was quite good com- compared to Millwall. You know, just getting back and filling in gaps. Uh, we know Ampadu's good for that anyway, but Gray and even Nonto and Somerville, those guys, and they were just pretty good at kind of filling in gaps and getting back and getting around the ball really quickly and just... So I guess they were concerned about um, counter-attacks, weren't they? They are were all concerned about these kind of transitional moments, which has been a weakness under Fark. And I guess that really wasn't a weakness in this game. I mean, Millwall, not necessarily the team to exploit that um, or didn't seem able to. So it's one, one thing to watch, but they were good. And I mean, it's something I've, I've criticised Fark about, you know, his kind of rest defence and that of you, but it was fine here. It's, it's going to need to be good this week. We've got three games in six days. You know, there's going to be quite a few tired legs. Yeah, yeah. And the rest of it thing as well could be a reason why we might have seen that slightly more conservative positioning from Ailing and 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 Gray. I definitely noticed Gray wasn't joining the attack as much as well as um, Ailing not going so advanced, and that may well be part of it as well. All right, I think we'll move on to chatting about some individual players now. So, firstly, uh, on Twitter, um, Kietel Simonson asked us why is Nonto so ineffective on the right. So, what did we make of Nonto today, and how did he compare in his time on the two flanks, uh, Dan? I think Nonto was pretty good on the right. I don't, I don't think Nonto's performance dropped at all from the right. I think he was fine. I think when he went on the right, he was dropping deeper, wasn't he, and trying to help out with build up more. Um, 
and I think that perhaps was the tactical reason why he was put over there because the build-up was a bit dead on the right in general, and I think there's a slight issue with build-up on the right. I think we could talk about. Um, but no, I don't. I don't necessarily think Nonto's performance dropped at all. In fact, he helped build up on that side when he went over there. So there we go. I'm sorry, I disagree with the questioner. <laughs> I'm afraid. I think I, I I would agree. Like that's one of the positions that that right-sided winger that moves inside that I don't feel like has quite found what it is yet in Fark's team if it's not going to be uh, an analogue to Emmy Buendia and like, some some of it is still obviously very capable of producing creative moments like final action moments and a lot of things but perhaps yeah helping facilitate that the build-up d- down that side isn't isn't so easy and compared to what Nonto was doing on the left yeah yeah well I think, I think Nonto on the left was receiving the ball way higher wasn't he because the general progression is better on the left. So I think on the right-hand side, the, the problem with Nonto on the right, or whoever plays on the right not playing so well, is is effectively because he's got Archie Gray and, and, and Luke Ayling behind him, who probably are nowhere near as good as as, uh, as 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 the guys on the left at progressing the ball. So whoever's the winger on that side is having to do way more of getting the ball up the pitch rather than natural creative stuff at the end of the move. Yeah, and I, and I think it probably helps as well like the the role of the fullback on the, on the left. Where where like Byram has that much more freedom to like interpret the space as as he sort of sees fit compared to like it seems that the remit on the other side is very be wide be wide be high yeah I agree with yeah. that yeah I I, th- I think I want to like reflect like with Nonto that he really sort of nice things he did in attack as well and I think that he definitely showed sort of better decision making and sort of some maturity at moments in his ability to like put his foot on the ball like not be afraid to 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 turn around and approach the attack from a different angle but also there were some nice moments of him hitting the byline particularly for there was a moment in the second half where he flashed a really nice ball across um the near post when none of the other attackers had made that that run and um and it was a shame really because it was a uh, it was an excellent ball and it would have caused a lot of danger if someone had attacked that at whatever sort of like depth of the of the pitch. Oh. Well, there were four, there were three players there, weren't there? There was Somerville kind of made a half-hearted run near post run, but not really. And Rutter and Perot were just kind of hovering around the edge of the box for the cutback. Like two of them should have, you know, one near post, one far post, one penalty spot. You know, that's the classic, isn't it? And, and... That really frustrated me. Yeah. Because on, on Cocoms, Andy Hinchcliffe, I think it was, was saying that oh, they're waiting for the cutback, you should cut it back. But I was like, why? No, it was a good ball. It was probably the right decision. He's, he's hit the byline, put into a really dangerous area across the six-yard box, and you're expecting at least one, if not two, if not three runners to be running into to that sort of space. That was really frustrating. I thought it was a good play. But I, I, I kind of agree with, with you guys. I think Nonto's fine on the right. I think he's better on the left, but it's 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 one of them things. I think he was a really good out ball in, in this game. I think every time we tried to build up on the right and it was difficult, you kind of switched it over to him or Byron and it was it looked way better straight away. Nonto had a good kind of teammate game, didn't he? He did a lot of really good great things for the team. You know, associative play, combination play, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Whereas he had a really frustrating game against Wednesday and he tried to like, you know, he tried to win the game himself, didn't he, at times? Whereas in this game, I just thought, yeah, his decision-making is kind of the way he was playing. Just a really nice, mature performance, particularly considering the treatment he got because they were kicking lumps out of him. He just got up and calm, calm head and just play on, you know, and play on and do the right thing for the team. Yeah, I was really impressed with Nonto in this game. A real good performance. I've been a bit down, I've been a bit down on Nonto, actually, and, and yeah, he kind of, you know... Give proved, him his flowers. Yeah, give him his flowers. Yeah, he was good. No, good game from Nonto. I think that's going to be something that sort of really... Like that will really sort of mark a successful season for him. Will be that sort of maturity of 
not only thinking about what can I do as an individual, because that that's kind of the job that he ended up really fulfilling last season in in the time, particularly when we didn't have Sinistera, was just, oh, give it Nonto and he'll vibe something out. But there's a, he's got an awful lot of talent and an awful lot of ability to to, to to do the connective play that you were just saying. And, and I think that there's a lot more to be seen from him in those respects. Well, then we'll move on to Sam Byram. It would be easy to talk about lots of players, but I, I wanted to touch on Byram, who was really excellent and, again, particularly involved in our ball progression. So how good was he? And uh, is he now the first choice at left-back for you and Furpo's back, Adam? I think he is. I think he has to be first choice. I think he's made that his own if he's fit. It's just a question about his fitness, I guess, that remains. Um, I thought a lot of his decision-making was just really, really top draw, and that's what he needed. It was actually his 30th birthday this week, so you know, he's, a, he's an experienced pro now who should be doing this. But he was uh, he was really, really good at, at this sort of like tempo passing, I would say. So knowing when to, to keep it sort of snappy and quick and, and get the ball moving, especially in the final third with Nonto, thought they combined really nicely. And over time, when he needs to just hold on to it for a second and, and kind of drive with the ball. And I was really, really happy, like you said, with his, his kind of link-up play and... and 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 just the ball progression in general was just really really good on his side um and and i think if he can do this more than great um one thing i would say about him as well like you said the game kind of opens up for him like he's playing as a right-footed left back and that means that if he wants to yeah he can go down to the the byline with nonto and, and combine there or he can cut him sort of inside a little bit and, and push into midfield a little bit um and uh, yeah i've been i've been delighted with him and i wasn't particularly high on this signing when he when he came in because i just he hasn't played a lot in the last few years and a lot of injuries and just wasn't quite sure what the kind of level he was at at the moment but for us so far he's he's looked really really good and i wouldn't necessarily want to take him out of that position either it's pretty important to say i think if if we were playing in a different game maybe in a home game and um we could choose a couple of our actually fit fullbacks at the moment i'd probably be saying byram at left back and shackleton at right back at the moment um when you want that that progression on the right because i think that the shackleton really suits that role with, with having a bit more speed and and can probably do that a little bit better in that recovery stuff I, I wouldn't take byram out of there i would play him as a left back even though you know naturally his his best i guess nominative position is is as a right back but for us i think he's probably going to play a lot of minutes at left back this season if he's fit yeah, and Shackleton's a very secure in possession player as well. He doesn't take loads of risks, so perhaps that could be a, a sort of good way to help facilitate um, progression on the right. But uh, Dan, uh, any anything around Byram? I just well, I was glad someone mentioned earlier the kind of combinations, um, the pairs and things. I, I, I felt that like Byram and Nonto just really like dovetail nicely. They seemed to have a really clear understanding. Like there were very few wasted passes between them. It just it was just it kind of seemed to fit, didn't it? And like Nonto for a right-footed left winger, he's very happy going down the outside with his left, isn't he? Which you worry about, don't you? If you've got a right-footed left back, that the you know you naturally would prefer someone like Harrison and an outside left, wouldn't you? Really, but it's it's okay with Nonto, I think. And I think Byram's fairly happy going down the left and he's going down the side in his left as well. So, yeah, it's just it's just just really nice. And I guess it's nice having a really old head behind Nonto, I suppose. You know, just in that respect just someone who's experienced and you know and and can maybe talking through the game a little bit and all that kind of stuff and seeing through the game so yeah i just I, I like the combination with those two i think we've got something you know that could be a good thing for the for the season going forward if they can stay fit yeah i completely agree and agree as well with the experience point it takes me back to that stat i like about how byron's played with archie gray and archie gray's dad for leeds <laughs> <laughs> wow he's also he's also played in his teens his 20s and his 30s for us yeah He's turned to 30 like two days ago. 
Is, what's that, like, the first player since Gary Kelly? Or Yeah, yeah, it was. Good old Gary Kelly. Should we have the Gary Kelly Appreciation Hour now? Dan doesn't look very happy. It's before my time. I wasn't a bigger fan of Gary Kelly, really. Do you know what? It's important as well with Byram to, to be playing, because, again, about the experience head stuff, I, I was counting it. I'm getting to that age where I start counting the amount of players I'm older than, and I think it was four players on the pitch that were either my age or, or older than me. And the rest of them I was older than. So, you know, and the average age was like 23 or something. So it's probably quite important to have players like him in the team somewhere. I loved Gary Kelly. (laughs) But this was like when I was very young and before I had the facility to watch Leeds games. So I think I just picked the player who'd been at the club the longest and was like, he's my favourite. And and I've never quite been able to shake the attachment from right backs ever since. Because I loved, um, I liked Byram. I loved Ailing. Massive Danny Mills fan, are you, Jacob? No, Danny Danny Mills is one that I'll um I'll, I'll happily cast to one side. <laughs> yeah. Darren Kenton, on the other hand. Did you say a, a past tense of love Ailing, by the way? I still love Luke Ailing, but he's no longer my favourite Leeds player of all time. That's Archie Gray. No, it's Matthias Click. <laughs> okay, good. Good answer. Anyway, it, we're not here to talk about Gary Kelly as much as I would happily do so. Um. Today's game, uh, today, what am I saying? Sunday's game saw the debuts of Jaden Anthony and Ilya Gruev, and also a bit more time for Glenn Kamara. The The midfielders weren't on for very long, though interesting to note that Kamara came on at 10. But I'm interested to hear what people's first impressions of Jaden Anthony were. Uh, anybody particularly keen on going first? I'm happy to jump in. I mean, I, I just really, a couple of really nice touches. He looked really secure on the ball, I felt. Um, he kind of moves the way he moves and positions himself. It's very similar to Sinistero, I think, isn't it? You know, in that in that respect, uh, the way he kind of drops his shoulder and comes in field. There was one time where he received the ball just over the halfway line towards the left, and and dummied and cut in field and played a really nice ball to Dan James, who mis- who mis- who miscontrolled it. But that's, that's a separate <laughs> point. <laughs> but it was it was nice play. Um, I just yeah, I just I just thought um, another thing to note is pressing was pretty good. Uh, a couple of times it was, it was it was kind of pressing the fullback and he curved his run really nicely and shepherded them back back in field. I just yeah it was just like I say not a lot to go on but everything he did seemed pretty pretty tidy. A um, little bit unlucky when he got kind of stumbled with that chance in front of goal, but but nice that he got into that kind of goal scoring position. You know on his on his uh, is it his debut? Yeah, his debut. Yeah, 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 yeah his yeah. debut. Yeah, so he just seemed to have a good understanding with the players around him for you know for not being there long. So it's good signs really. Fab. Uh, Adam, anything to add? Yeah, I think it's interesting what you said about our obsession and the fact that him and James came on at the same time uh, to kind of help nullify them a little bit more probably because both of them are probably our two best wingers in terms of the out of possession stuff. Um, I also really like one pass Anthony played in particular. I, I think I've seen quite a bit of him in the last few weeks. I've, I've decided to to get really on board with the signing where I can. And I like quite a lot of aspects of the way he cuts inside opens his body up to kind of play passes into the middle or crosses into the middle. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with him. I, I think it's interesting what kind of role he'll play there. I don't I don't know whether he'll be a kind of sub for most of the games or a starter in some games. We'll, we'll have to see. That That's something that um, Mike Turetsky on Twitter was wondering about, whether he was going to be a starter or a sub. Do you have a... Do you have an opinion on this, Dan? It's one that I'm certainly struggling with. I'm going to say I wonder, because he has that kind of nice nice cutting field and pass, it's more um, perhaps something that might be useful at home when we're trying to break low blocks down. It might be it might be better in those scenarios. He might be a good home player. Um, so, it, yeah, so, so, so perhaps we will see. It could be a horses for courses thing uh, with him and perhaps the players like Nonto and, and some of them who are 
perhaps better transitional players will play the play the away games more. So I don't know. I was just going to agree with that. I was going to say that yeah, I think it's it's kind of a situational thing, different scenarios and game states and opposition and all of that. I think that it's going to be something we probably rotate quite a lot because I think the quality out there is. You'd probably say wingers is still the strongest area of our team, even though Sinister has left. It's, it's and Harrison as well. Um, so I think that yeah, Farker will probably you know tinker and and tweak where he can with with players like that. And he's gonna have to throughout the team because it's a, a big season. But that's one area in particular where there's a lot of running, a lot of intensity, and I think that yeah, it, 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 you'll see Anthony get a good amount of starts. I would imagine. In his um, article about like the the squad composition post the end of the transfer window, Phil Hay listed Anthony on the right. Obviously, that's not his preferred position. But do you, excuse me, do either of you think that we might see him over that side at all? I think it's more likely to be the Somervilles and Nontos if they're going to get a game. I think he's probably more wedded to the left than most of the other, you know, wingers and wide forwards in the squad. Um, I would say that. You know, the other wingers, I think Nonto can play left-right, probably as a number 10. Some will right-left as a number 10. Perveda right and number 10. But I wouldn't necessarily say the same of, of Anthony. Um, Dan James, obviously, can play both sides as well pretty comfortably. And there's been a lot of debate at All Stats Aren't We Towers about which side he's better on. Whereas Anthony, I think it's, it's pretty pretty cut and dry that he's better on the left. But the only thing I would say is that because of his kind of range of passing, you might see him on the right occasionally maybe doing sort of high and wide stuff and then maybe the fullback on the left does more high and wide stuff um if we flipped it that way i guess but i, I don't know it remains to be seen and, and I, I can't really tell because like it depends i think who's the who's the right back because you if, if you have a, a sort of more defensive minded passive right back that's not going to get forward as often like ailing did at the weekend you might want a player that's going to get to the byline more on the right um Whereas if you have someone like Jed Spence bombing forward, then you might want the right side of player to drift in field a little bit more, which Somerville has done and, and Nonto has done when they played that role. So I think it remains to be seen, but I think Anthony's probably going to be more wedded to the left. So you're saying Anthony on the right is contingent on Junior Furpo uh, coming back and becoming the star man? Yeah, I would say so. All aboard the Junior Furpo train as far as I'm concerned. One more thing for me that I haven't put on the running order, but just occurred to me that I thought would be nice to mention is uh, a shout out to Georgina Rutter. Again, in the, in this game, for me, the moment that almost really encapsulates it is the first goal. And not so much even the link-up play right at the end, but just seeing him receive the ball and do that really, really quick turn that just allows him to, to, uh, to face the opposition goal and, and just start legging it up the pitch. And uh, it just really illustrates that this guy is so technically secure and there's so much sort of intensity and ability in his game. And just it's been really fun watching him learn and ease himself into this into this role that he's got with us now. And yeah, anybody else want to be effusive about Rutter? Yeah, I just I liked um, well the, on that first goal the the first time pass to play Perowin was just beautiful, wasn't it? Like I say, just technically secure, just 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 on the money, just the right weight, the right angle, everything. Um, I liked how he kind of went to fight in this game you know like they're doing center forward things you know going up against jake cooper who's a you know mountain of a man and, and handled himself pretty well to be fair Rutter. i think he's he's a big boy himself isn't he and he put himself around fairly well he didn't always win but i get the vibe he's really kind of getting to grips with being a nine isn't he he's starting to show signs obviously he likes to drift and wander out and all that kind of stuff but yeah i, I think we've seen the kind of the sort of nine he might be long term rather than the wide forward yeah i definitely agree with that anything adam it's really interesting, like, Pirro's got a brace, and yet I would say 
there's maybe four or five other players that performed better than him in the game and Rutel was definitely definitely one of them um like I, I wanted to quickly really quickly talk about Piro's finish on the first goal like he could have easily let that go across his body and smash it into the far corner with his left foot his strong foot but instead he decided to take a quick touch and then just a, a really nice cultured finish with his with his what is his weaker foot by by most people's you know reckoning but he's, he's good off both feet but anyway Ruter amazing like in so many ways and I was really really happy with him I love his little body shovels and his agility to get out of situations and he's not actually absolutely rapid but he he just looked after the ball so well and he did this on so many occasions, even in our own half at times. That he he really capable of turning out of pressure like that, and, I, and I'm delighted with how he played. And yeah, I would say even though we we've, we've talked a lot about how we loved Nonto and Byron and players like that in this game, I would say him and Ampadu were the, the standouts, and we've kind of become normalised that with Ampadu now. But Ruta was just another level than than he, I think this is his best performance for us so so far. And I I was really happy he got the goal as well because even though the assist was lovely, he he absolutely deserved a goal for his performance and it was really well taken. And yeah, just just so many things about his his centre forward performance that are improving game on game and and the link up play with with so many other individuals like Perot, it's just getting better by the game as well. And with that flourish, it brings us to the end of the podcast. As he hasn't been on this pod, we haven't heard from Tom Alderson in a while, but he'd shout at me if I didn't talk about the Patreon. (laughs) So uh, over the last few weeks, we've put out some bonus podcasts on our Patreon. And for those who don't know, Patreon is a platform where people can pay money to support creators that they enjoy and receive bonus content in return. We put out Patreon-only podcasts and analysis articles, and our patrons also get all our podcasts ad-free and early access to the preview podcast. Right now, you can listen to our recent State of the Squad pod, where the gang went over Leeds' squad position by position, assessing its strengths and weaknesses, and also uh, our brand new Under-21s pod that came out today. Uh, you were on that one, Dan. What what can people expect? So, yeah, we, so it was myself and Martin did the Under-21s pod last night. It was um, So we're going to put out a pod for the Under-21s every eight, nine, ten weeks or so, every alternate month, roughly. Um, yesterday, the pod was just talking about the new format of the league, like the state of the squad, we have some some fun players to look out for. Uh, um, I mean, one thing I will say is doing the research for the pod, watching the twenty ones. They're a really fun team to watch. Really, really good fun. Like, like they're all really nippy and technical, and they're like trying to play really quick passing football. It's a little bit different from the first team, but not wildly different. So, yeah, I just think they're um, they're an interesting bunch. So, I definitely recommend people get onto that and listen to that. And and you know, we'll, there'll be another one coming out probably around the next international break, roughly. Fab. Well, if you want to access uh, those podcasts or the articles or anything else, then you can sign up at patreon.com slash A-S-A-W Patreon, which is all one word. And that brings us to the end of the podcast. So all that's left to say is uh, thank you to Adam. Thank you so much, mate. Delighted. Uh, The running order now says thank you to Tom. Um, So, Dan, do you want to be Tom? Thank you, Tom. I'll be... Yeah, which Tom? Oh, there's any... any. I can't do impersonations. um, So thank you, Jacob. Wonderful. Thanks, Tom. And thank you all, dear audience, for listening. We'll see you at the next one. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.